Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Hey, um, we're starting a new series this weekend. It's called Justice, and uh, there, there's, there's a couple weeks we're going to be we're going to be doing this, and we're going to talk about biblical justice. There's typically two types of justice. There's retributive justice. This is the kind of justice like when you you break a law. There's consequences. Um, you do something wrong. There's maybe there's a price to pay. That's retributive justice. Restorative justice is more like a biblical justice, and this is about a, a justice uh, in, in the sense of the people around us, the vulnerable among us. And uh, it, it really is. You, as you read the Bible, this is the kind of justice you see presented over and over and over again. And that's that's what we're going to be talking about in these next several weeks. Um, so I, I, ho- I hope you're able to, to be with us and to, to track along with us. We were in the Middle East. There's a team of us that you commissioned to go to the Middle East, and we were in Kurdistan, and there's a new team there uh, that we're trying to help kind of get going, and we did this uh, team developing exercise with them. Piece of paper, you don't write your name on it, you answer these questions, and as you answer the questions, at the end we, kept, we take all, collect all the papers, and then we read them, uh, your, your answers to your questions, and people try and guess who is this person. We're, we're seeing how well we know one another. One of the questions on this, these, this list of questions was, if you could choose an actor or an actress, now think about this for yourself, if you could choose an actor or an actress to portray your life story, who would you choose? An actor or an actress to play your life story, who would you choose? I'm seeing some laughter in the room as people are whispering to each other uh, who, they, who, they, who they would choose. So we're, we're asking this question, and there's this guy named Joel. He's like 140 pounds, five foot five, be 140 pounds soaking wet. And, uh, and we're reading his, his list, and the, as he answers this, he chooses Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. <laughs> And we, we just love this, like, we called him The Rock the rest of the week. Uh, but it gives us a little insight into who he is, who, what his heart is like. And you do a little exercise, it's kind of fun, and uh, you get to know some new things about people. Now think about this for a moment. Think about uh, the, the, the scriptures, and here's what God does. He gives us pictures of who he is and what his heart is like. Now he doesn't give us like, actresses and actors to portray his life. He gives us metaphors and uh, bits of uh, windows into his heart. And actually, we've, we've, we've sung about this today. See, one of the ways that God presents himself to us is he's a lion. He's ferocious. Uh, and, and at the same time, he's a lamb. He's innocent. Um, and and we, we sang a song, he's a lion and the lamb. This helps us understand what God is like. And, and this happens quite a bit in the scriptures. Uh, oftentimes God is presented us as a shield. Uh, he is the good shepherd. He is the rock. Uh, and, and, and yet one of the, one of the ways that God presents himself many, many times, in fact, you'll see is throughout the scriptures. Is, uh, is, is a unique way that his heart is positioned towards a group of people. Psalm 68 is just one of those places in scriptures that helps us see God's heart. It says, sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. 
God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. God is you know, asking, God, who are you? Give us a picture. And here's the picture God gives us. I'm a father to the fatherless. I'm a defender of widows. Uh, I, that I love to set prisoners free. And you get this picture. And you know, we, we, we read that. And you get, yeah, we've heard that about God. And we sort of, sometimes we sort of tuck that away. And intellectually, we understand this is who God is. It's one of the pictures of who he is. But I think oftentimes we miss the significance of what God is saying to us. Uh, Vinith Ramachandra, he's from Sri Lanka, uh, he's a Christian, he get, went to the University of London, got his degree in nuclear engineering, kind of a smart guy. Uh, he, he, he says this about this, this idea of who God is. He says, in virtually all the ancient cultures of the world, the power of the gods was channeled through and identified with the elites of society. The kings, priests, and military captains, not the outcasts. To oppose the leaders of society then was to oppose the gods. Ramachandra continues, he says, But here in Israel's rival vision, it is not high-ranking males, but the orphan, the widow, the poor, and the refugee with whom God takes his stand. From ancient times, the God of the Bible stood out from the gods of all other religions as a God on the side of the powerless and of justice for the poor. You see what Ramachandra is saying? He's saying, look, this is a very unique thing for God to say. Because in, in ancient cultures, the gods, they allied themselves with the powerful. But the God of the Bible... Our God, he aligns himself, he, 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 he leans towards the powerless. This is who God is. He's a father to the father, fatherless. He's a defender of widows. And in fact, as you, as you see people who are following God, what you hear from God to his people is, is things connected with his heart. Uh, De- um, sorry, Proverbs chapter 31 um, says this. Speak up for those who cannot speak up for themselves. Ensure justice, there's that word, ensure justice for those being crushed. This is a restorative justice. Yes, speak up for the helpless and see that they get justice. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 27, cursed is anyone who denies justice. There's our word again. Cursed is anyone who denies justice to foreigners, orphans, or widows. And then Zechariah chapter 7, this is what the Lord Almighty said, administer true Justice. Okay, what is this true justice? Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Nicholas Worcestershire, he's a, a, a professor of philosophy at Yale University. He, he's coined this phrase that these, these four uh, right here, widow and the, father, the fatherless, the foreigner and the poor, this is the quartet of the vulnerable in ancient times. These are the folks who are powerless. And what you need to understand is that God has a massive heart for the the vulnerable, for the quartet of the vulnerable. His heart leans very strongly in this way. This is who he is. And this is how he describes himself to his people over and over and over again, which then leads us to a question. If this is God's heart, bless you, bless you. If this is God's heart, and, he's, and he, he continually reinforces this, then what should God's people's hearts look like? 
If God's heart, he's a father to the fatherless, if he's a defender to the widows, if his heart leans strongly to the, the quartet of the vulnerable, if that's who he is, then what should his, his people's hearts look like? Now, what you see in the Old Testament as, is this idea that, that boy, if, if you're going to embrace following God, then, then you embrace the quartet of the vulnerable. And you remember that story in the book of Job? Where Job, I mean, it's, it's, the book of Job just starts out so mysterious. Or another word you might want to use is weird. Um, here's God. He's in his heavenly throne room and in saunters Satan. Okay? I mean, there's so much mystery here. And God, he begins bragging about one of his servants, whose name is Job. That's the, the book is named after him. And, and what God says to Satan is, have you, look at my, my friend, look at my servant Job. What a great job he's doing in folly. Have you, consider him. And, and Satan uh, plays the devil's advocate, literally. He plays the devil's advocate and says, yeah, he serves you and he loves you because you just take great care for, of him. But you, if you were to kind of mess up his circumstances, he'd curse you. So again, this mysterious cosmic conversation turns into this story in the book of Job. And here's Job, and he goes through incredible suffering. And he's trying to understand his suffering. And one of the things that he does is he kind of goes through this pattern of confession. He's trying to figure out if I've done anything to bring this upon myself. We, we've, we've done this, right? You, 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 you suffered, something goes wrong, something horrible is experienced by you. And oftentimes we, we, we look, have I, have I brought this upon myself? This is what Job is doing. And as he, as he processes, you get to chapter 29 and listen to his process and the result of his process. He says, I've assisted the poor in their need and the orphans who required help. I helped those without hope and they blessed me. And I caused the widow's hearts to sing for joy. What an incredible phrase. Everything I did was honest. Righteousness covered me like a robe, and I wore justice like a turban. I served as eyes for the blind and feet for the lame. I was a father to the poor and assisted strangers who needed help. Do you see what Job is doing here? I'm trying to figure out why this suffering is upon me. And I'm doing this sort of this inventory. I'm, I'm, I'm going through this confession. And here's what I've, I've landed on. He, he lands on a place of, I've, I've kind of dug into this internal righteousness. Okay? He's looked inward at his attitudes and his thoughts. And, and he, he talks about, but I've been honest. And he spends a little bit of time on the internal. And then actually he spends most of his time on the external. Widows, when I mean, their hearts sing for joy when they hear about me. I've been a father to the fathers. I brought the stranger into my home. It's this contrast of an internal righteousness and an external righteousness. And it's, it's pretty fascinating because if you look at this, oftentimes what we do is we, we, can, we can put an emphasis on one or the other. And oftentimes what we do is we look at the Bible and we see in the Old Testament, we go, yeah, but see, that's the Old Testament. And, and things kind of shifted into, into the New Testament. And, uh, and now, we, you know, we just got to tell people about Jesus. And, and that's important. But don't for a minute think that God's heart has changed for the quartet of the vulnerable, for the widows and the orphans and the poor and the immigrants. In fact, this internal and external righteousness carries right into the New Testament. In one of Jesus' famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, 
Jesus begins it by just, he says this. We'll just put the first part up. It says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. He's going to talk about a righteousness. Righteousness that's going public. Okay? It's external. And, um, and oftentimes what we do is we, we think about righteousness, we think about character. And so let's just, you know, internal versus external. So what is this practice of righteousness that's public in front of others? So, you know, just to kind of help us answer the question, let's give us a shot, a multiple choice, because I was like multiple choice, because at least you had a chance, right? What is this act of righteousness? Is it A, honesty? Is it B, praying every day for 15 minutes? Is it C, reading your Bible? Is it D, not wearing jeans while you preach or lead worship? I don't know who would do that. E, is it none of the above? Well, it's E, none of the above, because here, here's what we get in Matthew 6. Here's, well, here's what we discover, what this righteousness is. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the poor, there's your act of righteousness. See, internal righteousness, that's, that's important. But there is such a thing as external righteousness. When you give to the poor, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets to call attention to themselves. See, here's what's going on. There's this sense that it's really important that we have character, and it is. Because if we are going to image Jesus to our world, if we are going to be a people who were in spiritual poverty and God poured out generously his grace upon us because we couldn't pull ourselves out of this mess, he, he rescues us, and he has now called us justified. If, this, in, this internal right is ours. We must, have, we must be conformed to the image of Christ and reflect his character of the world. This internal righteousness is very important, but not to the neglect of external righteousness. See, this is who God is. I'm a father to the fatherless. I'm a defender of widows. I care about the poor. My heart is for the stranger. And there is a righteousness that's expressed externally. But often what happens is you get this sort of verbal debate between these two. We see these as two separate ideas, as competing truths, right? Because we have some groups of people who say, no, 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 you just, you just need to tell people about Jesus and, 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 and they need to be justified and they need to be, be, be made holy before God and that's really what's important. And, and, and oftentimes there are groups of people, we put labels on these groups of people. We call these people conservatives, we call those people liberals. In fact, just to kind of give you a picture of this, um, years ago uh, we had our student ministries was doing uh, a cause we were seeking to provide clothing to uh, homeless high school students. Um, and they were selling shirts and raising money. And this letter came in. Wow. Talk about missing the mark. Don't get me wrong. This is a good idea. But a cause, giving students a shirt? What about giving hope and purpose by exposing them to the truth of Christ? Yeah, yeah, this may be a path to doing that, and it's essential to meeting perceived needs, but why conceal Jesus from these? Are you ashamed of God? Come on, why hide the truth? Can you hear it? I mean, this is what's most important, internal righteousness. This is what we have to go after. But then you've got folks over here who, um, they're not really interested in the character of Christ, but man, they're all in on the ministry of Christ. And feeding the poor and caring for homeless and, and, and watching out for widows. And that's so important. 
And what's happened is oftentimes, you know, we put our labels on each other. We kind of toss verbal, you know, grenades at one another and say, who's better than the other? And the reality is these are not competing truths. These are complementary truths that actually you can take the character of Christ, match it with the ministry of Christ, and something beautiful happens. And justice flows like a river. Justice flows into our streets. And we express God's heart fully. But if we only look at it, and sometimes it's a struggle for us, if we only look at it internally, we come to passages like in Matthew chapter 25, and we scratch our heads and go, what is going on here? Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story about sheep and goats, and they come before him, and as was the practice in, in, in even today in Middle Eastern cultures, at the end of the day, you, sh- you separate the sheep and the goats. And Jesus is saying that it's going to come a day, he's gonna, she's going to separate sheep and goats. Sheep, they, go, they get to come and be with him forever. Goats, they, they depart from him, they never see him again. What's the discerning, what's the determining factor of whether you're a sheep or a goat? Well, Jesus tells a story, and he says... You see, the reason you're a goat is because I was thirsty and you didn't give me anything to drink. I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was in prison and you didn't visit me. I was sick and you didn't care for me. And just in the way that Jesus tells the story, can you hear how closely he identifies with the poor? I was thirsty. I was hungry. I was naked. I was in sick. I was in prison. And you didn't care about that. Again, that's why we go to James. We scratch our heads because James says, you know, that, hey, show me your faith. Um, and, but if there's, if there's no works connected to it, then I'm struggling with you. I mean, true religion is to care for, for orphans and widows. It's why when Paul meets, you know, this spiritual terrorist turned apostle meets with Peter, James, and John in Galatians chapter 2, the, only, the one and only thing that these three guys, uh, pillars in the early church, say to him is, just don't forget about the poor. Why would, he, why would they say that? Why would Peter, James, and John say to this, this new believer, here's the one thing, just don't forget about the poor. Of all the things to say. And in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 16, the writer of Hebrews says that a, a great sacrifice to God is to care about the needs of others. Friends, this is, this, is the whole th- this is the whole idea of God's heart. That his heart, his heart is that we embrace the character of our Christ and match it with the ministry of our Christ. And we put it together and something beautiful happens. Now here's what I want to do. Uh, I, I may have lost some of you like five minutes in, like, that's too much information. But sometimes a, a picture is worth a thousand words. So I got this video and love for you just to watch this video and kind of put the pieces for you together then I'll, then I'll wrap us up. If you were a praying mantis, it would be socially acceptable to devour your mate. And if you're a honey badger, you have no regard for other animals. You don't care. If you're a panda with twins, it's normal to abandon one to take care of the other. But if humans do any of these things, we would call it wrong, unfair, or unjust. Yeah, why is that? Why do humans care so much about justice? Well, the Bible has a fascinating response to that question. On page one, humans are set apart from all other creatures as the image of God. Yeah, God's representatives who rule the world 
by his definition of good and evil. And this identity, it's the bedrock of the Bible's view of justice. All humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and fairness no matter who you are. And that would be nice if we all did that. But we know how the world really works. And the Bible addresses that too. It shows how we are constantly redefining good and evil to our own advantage at the expense of others. Yeah, self-preservation. And the weaker someone is, the easier it is to take advantage of them. And so in the biblical story, we see this happening on a personal level, but also in families and then in communities and in whole civilizations that create injustice, especially towards the vulnerable. But the story doesn't end there. Out of this whole mess, God chose a man named Abraham to start a new kind of family. Specifically, Abraham was to teach his family to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. Yeah, doing righteousness, that's a Bible word I don't really use, but what comes to mind is being a good person. But what does that even mean, being good? The biblical Hebrew word for righteousness is tzedakah, and it's more specific. It's an ethical standard that refers to right relationships between people. It's about treating others as the image of God. With the God-given dignity they deserve. And this word justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It can refer to retributive justice. Like if I steal something, I pay the consequences. Exactly. Yet most often in the Bible, mishpat refers to restorative justice. It means going a step further, actually seeking out vulnerable people who are being taken advantage of and helping them. Yeah, some people call this charity. But mishpat involves way more. It means taking steps to advocate for the vulnerable and changing social structures to prevent injustice. So justice and righteousness are about a radical, selfless way of life. Yeah, and you find this idea all over the Bible. like. Here, in the book of Proverbs, what does it mean to bring about just righteousness? Open your mouth for those who can't speak for themselves. And what do these words mean for the prophets, like Jeremiah? Rescue the disadvantaged and don't tolerate oppression or violence against the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And like here, look in the book of Psalms. The Lord God upholds justice for the oppressed, gives food to the hungry, and sets the prisoner free but he thwarts the way of the wicked. Whoa, he thwarts the wicked? Yeah, in Hebrew, the word wicked is rasha. It means guilty or in the wrong. It refers to someone who mistreats another human, ignoring their dignity as an image of God. So justice and righteousness is a big deal to God. Yes, it's what Abraham's family, the Israelites, were to be all about. They ended up as immigrant slaves, being oppressed unjustly in Egypt. And so God confronted Egypt's evil, declaring them to be rasha, guilty of injustice. And so he rescued Israel. But the tragic irony of the Old Testament story is that these redeemed people went on to commit the same acts of injustice against the vulnerable. And so God sent prophets who declared Israel guilty. But they weren't the only ones. There's injustice everywhere. Yeah, some people actively perpetrate injustice. Others receive benefits or privileges from unjust social structures they take for granted. And sadly, history has shown that when the oppressed gain power, they often become oppressors themselves. So we all participate in injustice, actively or passively, even unintentionally. We're all the guilty ones. And so this is the surprising message of the biblical story. God's response to humanity's legacy of injustice is to give us a gift, the life of Jesus. He did righteousness and justice, and yet he died on behalf of the guilty. 
But then God declared Jesus to be the righteous one when he rose from the dead. And so now Jesus offers his life to the guilty so that they too can be declared righteous before God, not because of anything they've done, but because of what Jesus did for them. The earliest followers of Jesus experienced this righteousness from God, not just as a new status, but as a power that changed their lives and compelled them to act in surprising new ways. Yeah, if God declared someone righteous when they didn't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek righteousness and justice for others. This is a radical way of life, and it's not always convenient or easy. It's courageously making other people's problems my problems. This is what Jesus meant by loving your neighbor as yourself. It's about a lifetime commitment fueled by the words of the ancient prophet Micah. God has told you, humans, what is good and what the Lord requires of you is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So that gives you a picture of God's heart. Now, let me just wrap up by saying this. You may be here, and you may be wondering, well, if God's heart leans towards the quartet of the vulnerable, what, what about me? Here's the good news. See, if, if you're blessed, it's like, you're like Abraham. You've been, it's, it's great to be blessed, but you get to be blessed to be a blessing. So you've experienced the generosity of God, and you get to pass on that generosity to those uh, who are powerless. So don't go to a place of false guilt. Go to a place of this is an opportunity. Uh, so that's one thing that I, I would say to you. The, the, second, the second thing I'd say is here's something you could do this next week. Just notice the vulnerable that you, that you see in our, in our city this next week. Just pay attention to those who are vulnerable or who do not have power in our society. Just, just, make a, make, just note and, and see. Uh, so uh, don't go to a place of false guilt. Seize opportunity. Start noticing those around us who do not have power or privilege. And uh, thirdly, here's the third thing. Come back next week because we're going to talk about doing justice. And I think that many of you may be surprised of how intricately you are involved in doing justice. I think your heart will be encouraged. And for others of us, it'll encourage us to maybe lean in some, in some different ways. Um, so that's some, some simple ways to begin practicing righteousness and, and justice uh, together as a church. Now, let me just say this. Imagine this for a moment. Imagine if uh, several thousand people started understanding this and saw that the need to, to reflect Christ's character, to, 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 to literally to proclaim it, uh, to tell of who Christ is, and to couple that with, to hitch that to a demonstration of Jesus. To, to, to not only just, just talk about it, but show it. Imagine if we put those two together and we did the character and the ministry, reflected that to our city, and imagine what would happen as people encountered us. Imagine what could happen in our city. Think about our vision of a city at peace with God and the tide levels of peace rising among us. If we all began to say, God, how can I reflect your heart? I want to reflect your character. How do I reflect your heart to our city? And imagine what would happen. I'll tell you what would happen. People would see that and they would say, you know, I, I may not agree with everything that they were saying, but, but I, I like that. I'm in on that. And I think people would also say, I want to know more about who this Jesus is. 
And that's one of the opportunities that's before us. So as we wrap up today, I'm going to invite you to stand right where you're at. And I'm going to pray for us as, as we wrap up. The team's going to lead us uh, as we close our service. Let's pray together. So Lord, we thank you that you are a God who loves to be generous. Lord, we are here as followers of you. We're reminded of the fact that we, we once were a people who were so spiritually bankrupt. We had nothing. We had no hope. And you didn't leave us there. You came after us because you're a father to the fatherless. So Lord, you poured out riches of kindness upon us. You showered us with grace. And Lord, in this season of our year, we're reminded of that, that you gave your life for us, that you conquered death for us. Thank you for the generosity you've shown to us. Now may it flow freely from us to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our family, to our city, to our world. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.